Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Another eventful week, Walter. Yes, I, I think we can count on eventful weeks from here on out. Um, yeah. Especially uh, as, as the election approaches. Though it's very far off and more far off than any election I've ever been concerned with uh, in the past, but but it seems to be like some sort of black hole sucking all events toward it. Um, Has there ever been less certainty about who the candidates will be uh, in a in a major American presidential election? Well, I mean, who, who, the, who the nominees will be? Well, you're usually not this uncertain about the incumbent, and. Uh, you know, unless they're Johnson, but that he gave he he gave certainty by by declaring that he wouldn't run. Um, Biden seems to be being coy in some fashion about whether he's going. He says he'll participate, but you know, in some sense, I'll participate in the next election. Will he participate as a candidate? Is the question right, um, Walter? You should run. <laughs> I'm 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 currently cleaning up my past. Uh, I have agents out on the street, um, dealing with all the, uh, compromising information that might arise later. So if that cleanup job goes as I plan, I should be announcing in about 17 years. Um, <laughs> you would win in a landslide. if you ran. <laughs> Which party would I run for though? I'd have Neither. to invent my own. Um, I, 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 I'm not even sure sometimes whether the parties are going to be around in any, uh, recognizable fashion because uh, you know the Republicans don't seem to be having an identity crisis that uh, is bottomless in some fashion. Right, right, that's true. Um, I don't know. You, but if if you ran on like the whatever ticket, the whatever ticket, yeah. I promise to I promise to deal with all the things that we've put in the closet over the last 20 years. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could run on the backlog ticket. Here are all the things that we uh, were very excited about, but then pretended weren't a problem. And I'm going to bring them back out, set them on the table and deal with them. Um, <laughs> that, that, that could, that could work. I, I also think that, um, just being in the debates would be wonderful. See, that's the only part of the thing I covet. Doing the job, no. Um, but you wouldn't really. But, you know, go ahead. But 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 what what is the pleasant part of running for president? You know, running uh, nothing. Oh, well, that's not true. You could have fun with it. Trump had fun with it. That's true. That's true. I don't have the ability though to get you know gather uh, kiss concerts size crowds and you know. Uh, generate vast amounts of uh swag for people to wear i i don't yet have a, a hat designed uh <laughs> all the things that all the paraphernalia of modern <laughs> modern campaigning um i don't have a hat <laughs> yeah i used to i used to look through my mom's drawer my, my mom was a very sort of small town republican and and she had very high civic ideals and uh, she kept all, you know, I think she might've been president of a tiny Republican club in our small town. And she kept all her campaign buttons, pristine in a drawer, you know, going back to, I don't know, Goldwater or something. And uh, I used to sort of take them out the way you run rifle through your parents' drawers 
and think about the romance of each campaign. And they, they seem so simple in retrospect Mm -hmm. now, you know, they Mm -hmm. made a button, they gave a couple of speeches, they had a platform. Um, and then they retired from the scene after losing. But, uh, now it's just this, ever since the invention of pro wrestling or, or big time pro wrestling and other, you know, fake blood sports, uh, it, it it's just become it's become just a grueling spectacle that never ends and i don't i might be too old to insert myself in that though it seems that the latest qualification for us president is that you'd be very old right so, yeah you'd, you'd be i mean that's true you're right i'm gonna run it's the one field in which i might look young you know <laughs> i mean you'd look like uh you know uh, I don't know, like a teen actor compared to to the people who are actually running, right? Michael J. Fox, yes. Yeah. I could I could run on the fresh breeze ticket. Um <laughs> a fresh breeze from across the plains, Walter Kern. Um All you all you'd have to do is, is have a platform and promise to do absolutely nothing and say absolutely nothing. Um, I, I I could I could resurrect the Hippocratic oath now that the doctors have let do, it go. Do no harm. First, do no harm. The right. do no harm ticket. <laughs> wow, I actually think that's a winner. I just I promise that in four years things won't be that much worse. <laughs> I will do the because, absolute least in my power. Yeah, to, to make sure that uh, things in this country improve. Um. Anyway, yeah. So. Uh, We'll, we'll we'll handle your presidential campaign later, but yeah. uh, I'm I'm serious about this. I want there's I, I know there's got to be somebody who who's willing to run, um, and I think I think you'd be a good good candidate. Uh, you know, you you appeal to both sides. Anyway, we'll, we'll, I doubt I I doubt I could even win my own county in Montana. You know, there are all sorts of conflicting interests, ranchers versus environmentalists, and so on. You know, right. And my problem my problem as a journalist. Would be, would be my problem as a candidate, which is that after I talk to people f- for 15 minutes, I see their point of view and I like them. And, and, and then I go home at the end of the day and I can't, I can't sort out my priorities because the last person I spoke to was the most persuasive. That's why I'm going to stick with novelists. Um, but imagine, imagine how refreshing that would be to go, to, to go watch a candidate and have somebody, you know, stand up in the Q and a and be like, yeah, you're an asshole about this and that. Cause that's what always happens and have the person at the end of it say, well, yeah, you're right. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, has that ever happened? Have, have you ever seen a candidate say, Oh yeah, I never thought of it that way. Like, it would, be, it would just be so interesting. You're right. There are certain there are certain maxims that they live by, and they never change their mind on stage. That's that's one. You know, never be seen to change your mind. I could also be the guy who you know the candidate of open minds. You know, open minds, open hearts. That could be my uh, my slogan, and and I could get up and they always talk about listening tours, and but I could actually listen. Um, right. Yeah, they don't do much listening usually. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I'm going to keep it in mind. I mean, if if uh, if Jesse Ventura could be governor of Minnesota, I could probably be president of the United States. 
I was gonna uh, I was going to help him if he ran last time. I was gonna write speeches for him. I, or at least I was I offered to. So really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I you like know, Jesse. I, I back, back when back when uh, uh, in two thousand before Trump was uh, running for president on a major ticket, he was thinking of running for the Reform Party, uh, the leftover of the Ross Perot movement, and. Uh, Time Magazine sent me to cover him in a hotel ballroom in Minneapolis. And Jesse Ventura was at that time probably going to be his, if he ran, going to be his vice president. And so I got to see Jesse and Donald in one fell swoop. Wow. Two of the hugest candidates for president that have ever, you know, I mean, two huge guys. And I just remember seeing them stand together thinking like, if these dudes ran the country, I'd be physically intimidated, which is not, uh, you know, maybe we should have physically intimidating presidents. Shouldn't they be the largest among us? You know, why in an ancient tribal civilization, that would have been obvious. Um, that would be great if, if, if in America, like there was a, like you had to be at least as big as an NFL offensive tackle to play to to be the president. Like if that was the thing in in the Constitution, yeah. Born in born in the continental United States, at least thirty five years old, and you know at least thirty six inch arms and six foot seven, right? Um, well, something. maybe they should just fight for the damn thing instead of all this symbolic combat. I've had enough. The symbolic combat is dragging us all down. You know, right? Uh, we all become uh, we all become auxiliary uh, teammates of whoever we back, and we all get beat up. Uh, but it shouldn't happen that the people get beat up. It should be the candidates, and we should watch them draw blood, pin each other to the mat, UFC style, no holds barred, um, hitting each other with oars and chairs and stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, uh, I don't know if that's what happens in the movie Idiocracy. I don't know quite how. Uh, the guy gets to be president, but it would seem that he maybe did it in open battle. Um, What's his name again? Hector Elizondo. Uh, Camacho. 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 Yeah, but it, there's Nacho. There, there's there's a there's a bunch of middle names. I'm going to look it up. Um. But uh, anyway, yeah, we'll move on. Um. So we know we have to. Uh, um. There's some other stuff we got to talk about today, obviously. Uh, but um, we wanted to start. Okay, here's the name: Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Camacho. <laughs> That's awesome, Terry Crews. Great, great role. Um, yeah. Okay, so we know we have some stuff we got to get to today um, of more of a personal nature, but the self-referential thing is getting a little exhausting. So we're going to start. Um, with some other things that happened this week, uh, there was, there was a lot of stuff, but, um, one story that was kind of fascinating and uh, let's just read the, the opening to the New York post story about this, um, ex CIA chief spills on how he got spies to write false Hunter Biden laptop letter to quote, help Biden Miranda Devine's, um, byline. It reads, Joe Biden's presidential campaign prompted former acting CIA director Mike Morrell to, quote, help Biden by organizing 50 colleagues to sign a letter in October 2020, falsely claiming that damning emails from Hunter Biden's laptop published by The Post 
were Russian disinformation. In private sworn testimony, Morell told the House Judiciary Committee that Anthony Blinken, now Secretary of State, was the senior campaign official who reached out to him on or about October 17, 2020, three days after the Post published an email from the laptop suggesting Hunter had introduced his Ukrainian business partner to his father, then Vice President Biden. Morell, identified as a potential CIA director under Biden, said he organized the letter to, quote, help Vice President Biden because I wanted him to win the election. Uh, until Blinken's call, Morell told House investigators he had no intention of writing any statement exonerating Biden, but he agreed that the conversation with Blinken, quote, triggered that intent in him. So, Walter, your reaction to this? <laughs> Well, what refreshing honesty, first of all, um, because I wanted him to win. I mean, um, doesn't that cover any ethical lapse that could possibly uh, uh, be imagined? I mean, so what he did was he went and got on the phone. Uh, I wonder how long it took. I wonder if there was any arm twisting. It doesn't seem so since the process went off pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's amazing how quickly you can get 50 uh, fellow intelligence of, uh, officials or former officials to agree on a statement. Um, I, I doubt they thought about it for very long. Uh, I they must have a they, Slack chat. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it causes me to even wonder if if that is exactly when the uh, endeavor started, because it did take very little time. I wonder how many drafts there were. But in any case, um, he seemed, we don't know uh, as yet of any officials who refused to sign. It seems that it was one of those pile-ons where, hey, he probably got calls after about, you know, three hours. I, hey, man, I hear my... Uh, my friend's signing your letter. How come you didn't ask me? I'll sign it too. Um, yeah, nobody, nobody's come forward and said, uh, yeah, they asked me too, but I was like, nah, no. Yeah. In fact, it would, uh, it, it would seem to me that nobody wanted to be left off. It was probably um, understood quietly as a way to get a job later. Um, should Biden win? And um, uh, so, so is it corruption when, you just want your guy to win and you're willing to do anything. Um, now, how they could have all known in that short time that it was Russian disinformation is, is curious. Uh, none, would have, none would have mounted their own research, I would think. There wasn't time for that. Uh, October 17th, you say? I mean... Yeah, it was out, it was out really quickly and, you know, Remember, they, they used very curious wording in the letter. They said it had all the hallmarks of a, had all the, was it the classic hallmarks of a Russian information operation? Like they, right. uh, let's see, what what's the actual? So letter? there was a lawyer involved at some point, it looks like. Yeah, um, they, and, and, and it was published in Politico, which is, uh, which is a very strange thing. Um, uh, but, um, but yeah, no, the, the, the almost instantaneously, the story just rocketed around media. And what I thought was amazing is that media added, uh, elements to it that they didn't even put in. Like they used the word information operation and media used the word disinformation. 
like in headlines. Um, there were some kind of impressive conflicts of interest, like MSNBC had two of the signatories were actually paid contributors for MSNBC, who then went on, um, you know, on the air to to, uh, to to talk about Biden's campaign. And but again, um, they never had anything on this. Like it, it would have been totally legitimate to say there are thing there are elements about this story that would make you nervous right like the, the possible involvement of somebody like and andre Dirkach, um you know in talking to rudy giuliani Dirkach, you know is a pretty spooky guy like probably has russian almost certainly has russian government connections right but by saying that they were overtly changing the subject from something that was true to something that was right. fake and well, it's my understanding that this laptop was in possession of uh, uh, of our law enforcement agencies, uh, federal law enforcement agencies, for a year by then. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 letter when I read it at the time suggested that they, you know, could prove this if asked. Um, that they actually had some uh, evidence for their assertion. Uh, but now I guess when I look back after you read that weasel language, they didn't address at all the contents. They just compared it to past Russian uh, disinformation campaigns and said it bears all the hallmarks, which you know neatly sidesteps having to look at its contents. Uh, they haven't said what those hallmarks are I, I, or, or were. I'd like to know. Um, Maybe this story will go further, and some of these fifty will have to um, uh, reveal their reasoning or their, if not reasoning, thinking or reflexive uh, acting. Uh, but but uh, right now it just looks terrible. I mean, you say conflicts of interest, but I'm not sure they exist anymore in right. um, in America. Uh, there's just one interest. Um, especially right. where politics are concerned and the idea that intelligence media and, you know, electoral politics are any different uh, is, is probably a, a fiction we should dispense with as we go forward realistically into our brave future. Well, this um, is a, this is a theme that we've been talking about. I mean, the, the thing la- with the, the leaker last week, you know, the sort of journalist acting as extensions of the FBI, um, you know, all all of these people working in concert with these anti disinformation groups to, you know, get people removed from the internet or to identify things as misinformation or or, um, you know, seek out places where where unfettered conversations that can't be surveilled exist. Like everybody's kind of on the same team, and as you said, as you said, and I love the phrase you use, like there's, there's supposed to be this dynamic tension between all these groups. Um, that's what makes democracy work is that they're all kind of like acting as a check on each other. But once they all jump in the sack together, you just get this big lump of interest that, you know, sort of blindly goes in whatever direction it wants. And it does, there, there's nothing to, to check its worst instincts. But what's interesting about this story is that in microcosm, it actually demonstrates the operations of an actual conspiracy. 
We find out who started it. Apparently, Anthony Blinken, you know, he gave the order so uh, that he was at the top of the pyramid. And then it went down through Morrell and out to uh, all these 50 or so other uh, officials or former officials. Um, so we now have proven an actual conspiracy and we can uh, show the org chart for it. And it was important, I think, because once that letter had been issued, it gave cover to journalism and the disinformation uh, complex to do things like suppress, uh, you know, suppress the discussion on Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. That happened. Um, and Facebook, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, kick, kick the New York post off of Twitter, which has happened. Um, I mean, journalists against journalists, there, there's an Elizabeth play. There's a, Elizabethan play famously titled Women Beware Women. And and we now live in the journalists beware journalists age, um, in which uh MSNBC contributors, also known as former heads of intelligence agencies, then get another um another journalistic outlet, the New York Post, uh banished from Twitter, uh the New York Post being owned by Rupert Murdoch, who also owns one of the the major competitor of MSNBC. Um, so we're really looking at inter internecine media wars, among other things. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like this story only because, as I say, it, it gives us a clear uh, uh, organizational look at how these things work and because because when whenever whenever these apparent cascades happen we're told that it's sort of an organic process but i don't know that power lets organic processes happen um the, the, you know politics is the art of stopping and and guiding and making appear organic all kinds of processes that serve power but here it was just flat campaign work filtering down into the media and out into social media and so on. And, and to have the intelligence world, you know, be so unanimous in, um, in its conclusions. I mean, I guess there were a few dissenters who were still working with Trump at the time, but, but that's kind of scary. And, and, you know, when I first, when I heard about the story, it suddenly, um, I suddenly remembered that Mike Morrell played um, a not unimportant role in RussiaGate. Do you remember this? I'm gonna need my I'm gonna need my trading cards, but uh, I, if I had them spread out before me, I probably would. So this this is in in August, um, in August fifth, two thousand sixteen. Um, Morrell wrote an uh, an editorial for the New York Times called. I ran the CIA. Now I'm endorsing Hillary Clinton. And remember, this was six days after the FBI had launched its uh, crossfire hurricane probe into Trump, Russia. Um, and uh, Morell, in the middle of talking about why he was for Hillary, starts talking about Trump's relationship with Russia. And he said, um, 
Mr. Trump has also taken policy positions consistent with Russian, not American interests, endorsing Russian espionage against the United States, supporting Russia's annexation of Crimea, and giving a green light to possible Russian invasion of the Baltic states. In the intelligence business, we would say that Mr. Putin had recruited Mr. Trump as an unwitting agent of the Russian Federation. Um, and this, this kind of put wind into the sails of this whole, like, let's talk about, about Trump as a, um, you know, as a, as a useful idiot or as any, as a, at least an unwitting agent of, of Russia. It, it triggered a number of, I don't know, triggered's the wrong word. We don't know that. But it was it was the beginning of a number of stories that started to trickle out. Well, we now know that Morell is a natural ringleader. For some reason, he was the guy that Blinken contacted who was going to be able to get the 50 other people. So apparently he's uh, got a big Rolodex and, and some influence. Um, it, it not only put wind in the sails, but now I do remember it. Um, it kind of, you know, pushed the damn thing off from the dock. Mm -hmm. uh, to say someone has been recruited is interesting language. That suggests there was a meeting. That suggests there's a deal. Um, uh, not just that, you know, someone, can you be recruited just sentimentally sort of over through the atmosphere? Or does that require, you know, uh, a, a negotiation somewhere? It would suggest that it does. Um in in that in that statement, we do have the seed of about how many years now? <laughs> Seven years of bullshit. Um, well, right, and let's not forget, Morell was in line to be Hillary's CIA director, um, and Hillary had already commissioned the Steele research, which was already happening. Right. Uh, those reports were beginning to float around. Um, I mean, I didn't hear; I heard. I first started hearing from media people who had seen something like in late August or September of that year, maybe uh, the, the first, but I didn't know what it was. And it, but the first report that came out about it was Isakoff's in, in like right. mid September, but that stuff was already in the ether. You, if you go back and look, you can see it's kind of alluded to and since in a couple of opinion pieces, here and there. Well, I, I knew it was in the ether because at the 16 Republican convention, which I was covering for Harper's, there was talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that was in July. Uh, you know, um, I, I just, I, I, as a footnote, we should, uh, we should note that uh, Buzzfeed news, the original publisher of the steel dossier is closing this week, announced that it's closing. Um, after the scoop of the century, you'd think they could have run for another 30 years. But, um, uh, do you remember the uh, triumphalism after they did that? Uh, all these, people, oh, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was the greatest act of bravery and, you know, uh, candor on the part of an American press institution since I don't know when. Um, they took huge risks. Uh, others wanted to sort of, shuffle this thing around behind closed doors, but good old Buzzfeed news was ready to stake its reputation. Um, non at that point, non-existent. I mean, I don't and, know Ben Smith. Do you, do you know him? I, uh, I've never met the guy. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've started, I, I started years ago, especially once I started working at the new Republic and, and, uh, you know, a frankly political magazine and then Harper's of not getting to know, 
uh, lifelong political journalists. Um, mostly because I didn't understand them. I met David Korn, I remember, at the, uh, at the 2016 convention. And the guy was so on fire and knew so much and had so many certainties in his system that I thought, how, how can I get to know these people without being in some way drawn into their force field? <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I still wanted in my little town way to, to see the world as I thought it was and in a case-by-case fashion. And it seemed that longtime political reporters all had a kind of career out of some point of view and advancing it. And that's how they'd made their career. And that's how they had, they defended their niche. And so I shied away from them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, I remember at the time when, when Smith, when, when Buzzfeed published that thinking, okay, there's going to be a, a a hue and a, and a and a cry from all the media reporters, and it there there was some, but it was it was a bit of a split decision if I remember correctly, um, among the, like the pure sort of media ethicists, because I figured there mm-hmm. like at least those people would say, this is a, like a bit of a dangerous road to go down, like just publishing stuff that you know is problematic factually, because like, they because they said that in the in in the opening, right, um, and in you know, do you want to be owning that later on when, you know, if, if this all fall, falls apart, that's a scary place to be. Like, I'm, I'm not sure I'd want to be the, the person who made that call, you know? Um, but, but, but wasn't it a case of the new ethics obtaining where if there was a rumor that was going around, you had to inform people of the rumor. It was, it was news because it was treated as, uh, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week to hear the full version. And for more articles and content, please subscribe to Racket News at racket.news.